This is Peter Sarsgaard, and you're listening to Film Wax Radio. Well, hello, everybody. It's Adam Shartoff, your host of Film Wax Radio. It is Friday, January 22nd, 2021, and this is episode number 652 of the podcast. While both of these segments have already been available on the YouTube channel, we're going to still... We're, we're, we're doing a podcast, for God's sake. So here we are. We're going to post these two wonderful conversations. The first is with my friend Stanley Nelson. This is this documentary filmmaker's fourth visit on this show. This is Stanley's fourth appearance on the podcast. He was on episodes 311, 411, 569. If you're looking back, he uh, has directed such memorable and important documentaries as The Black Panthers, Vanguard of the Revolution, Tell Them We Are Rising, which is the story of historically black colleges and universities in this country. And uh, most recently, I talked to Stanley in 2019 at the Maryland Film Festival for Miles Davis, The Birth of the Cool. Well, he's back, and we discussed Stanley's latest film. It's a new documentary. It's called Crack, Cocaine, Corruption, and Conspiracy. It's currently on Netflix. They produced the documentary, in fact. And uh, then we're going to bring on another great documentary call, uh, filmmaker named Lance Oppenheim with his documentary, uh, Some Kind of Heaven. And I'm excited about that one. They're both great documentaries. And again, both conversations can be found on the Film Wax Radio YouTube channel. If you prefer to watch these sh- conversations, just visit youtube.com slash Radio. And while you're there, su- please subscribe to the channel. Uh, in the early 1980s, the crack epidemic tore through America's inner cities like a tsunami ravaging all in its wake. Decades later, the destructive effects on people's lives, families, and communities are still deeply felt. Uh, Stanley Nelson's Crack, Cocaine, Corruption, and Conspiracy examines not only the personal devastation caused by the drug, but also the shadowy origins of the crisis and the resultant ongoing marginalization of black and brown people trapped by the U.S. prison and healthcare system. Stanley produced and directed. Other producers include Cameo George, Naima Jabali Nash, Keith Brown, and Nicole London, and executive produced by Marcia Smith and, of course, Netflix. Here we go. This is uh, one of my favorite uh, guests to bring on. This is uh, filmmaker Stanley Nelson here only on Film Wax Radio. This film, by the way, currently streaming on Netflix for subscribers of that platform. In the 80s, there was a lifestyle of celebration, and Coke was part of that lifestyle. It was the glitzy drug. When crack came along, it changed everything about the black community, and it changed everything about America. It was like the gold rush. It was people coming from all over to buy this wonder drug. The drug so powerful, it will make you sell the clothes off your back. The reporting played right into all of these stereotypes and this narrative. But it's like that, and that's the way it be intolerant of drug use and drug sellers. You got a war on drugs. Is it not a war on the people that are supplying the drugs? Or is it only a war on the victims of the drug war? Sorry, I'm late. Hi. Another call. How you um, doing? Well, normally I would have gotten you earlier. I don't know. In the in the time frame of of your latest documentary normally right i would have but um but better late than ever i say yeah no i mean it's really different because you know it's 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 our first film for netflix and so it's a little different um you know we we were letting netflix kind of take the lead on on all kind of interviews and then kind of you know push forward and and uh you know so it's 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 evergreen because you know it's on netflix so right um, it's really different from, you know, film that premieres. So it's great. It's great to be talking. Yeah, good, good. Because when, when I go to Netflix, I saw it. It was showcased. And then definitely if you go down to the documentary, 
the documentaries area, the documentaries, like, you know, recommendations, it's, it's like right there. Number one. So hopefully people are watching. Are you watching? Is, are you watching the, uh, the inauguration? Have you been watching Uh, somebody in the other room? Can you hear it? No, no, I'm just, I'm just, as a, as a, as a, just a point of conversation, I was just wondering, it's it's like a, yeah, I'm kind of in and out. I, you know, I actually, I actually was tearing up when they said Joe Biden is now president of the United States. So, I mean, I, 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 I can't tell you how much I hate Trump. You know, I just, I, you know, I, I was on, I was tearing up. I was like, Jesus Christ, it's like a nightmare that's over. You know, it's yeah, a nightmare. Anyway, right. Right. Well, at least that main component is over yeah, yeah. and that and I, he's maybe for hopefully, uh, you know, and we can appreciate. That. Hey, you know, I don't think you're whatever, alone. They, in- you can do whatever, whatever, whatever they want. You know what I mean? Like you always had the Ku Klux Klan. You always had, you know, right wing crazies. You always had everything, but at least it wasn't, they weren't, they didn't have the president. So I don't really care. You know, I, I'm just, I, I, I'm taking the time to celebrate and not feel bad in any way. Cause like, you know, it, it, you know, he almost, he came real close to, to winning a second term. And, uh, you know, that would have been, you can't, you can't imagine the destructiveness that he, he could have wrought. What we've been going through as a country, um, whether together or, or bifurcated, there is a, a through line to your work, especially crack, you know, because one thing that's been running through this country from its inception is racism. Mm-hmm. And this unfortunate part, you know, for people like me, these liberals like myself, is that every time you think you've taken a big giant step forward, you realize, you know what, we haven't done nearly enough work. Yeah, I mean, and I think that's reflected through or in the film, you know, Crack. Um, you know, we see how how you know race affected uh, how crack was distributed, how crack was policed. Um, you know how how people were were put in jail, um, the sentences for crack. Um, you know, all, all across the board, how women um, were looked at. You know, the, the crack mama, and then that whole idea. So, um, you know, it, 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 it's kind of a subtext. Uh, of the film, but it's the subtext of so much of the history of this country. I'm curious to know, it's such a such a controversial subject because there's always been a, a, a large component of blaming the victim when it comes to things like drugs, especially crack, because it was the black, it was like this black problem. Um, was it, It's a bit of a powder keg. Did, did, is this something you had been thinking about making a film for a while? Or yeah. was this so? Uh... Yeah, no, I, I was thinking about about it for for a while, and um, you know, we, we, I was talking to Netflix, you know, for a little bit about you know projects and wanting to do something for Netflix, and um, you know, I suggested you know crack, um, and it was almost like a, a one word pitch, you know, I was like, <laughs> how about crack, you know, how about how about making a, a film about crack, um, and you know, um, they kind of. Where- jumped on it. And I, and I think that, you know, it was really time because, you know, there, there was uh, a, a period of, of, of time that passed that so that we could, we could look at crack in, a, in the crack era in a much more clear eyed way than sure. you know, kind of hyperbole that was going on um, when we were in the middle of the crisis. Oh, well, let's just go a little bit into Netflix since you brought it up. Did they also kind of embrace that idea of just sort of crack like as a title, I mean, it has a, a subtitle, Cocaine, Corruption, and Conspiracy. I guess it's really necessary to have that. But um, it is a certainly an attention grabber, the title. Yeah, I mean, um, for, for, for you so, guys, I say for, for, for so long, um, the title of the film was just crack. And we kind of added, you know, cocaine, corruption, and conspiracy. Um, after the film was done, you know, it's like, yeah, well, well, you know, crack, just, you know, maybe we should make it, make it a little more, you know, um, and so uh, we, we added, added that at, at the end. But, uh, you know, for a long time, the film was just type of crack. And how did, how did the deal with Netflix come about? Uh, yeah. You guys said you never had worked together before. You hadn't, they hadn't produced anything for you guys. 
Well, again, you know, um, you know, because I, I guess, you know, I've been, I've been making films for so many years, you know, I was able to get in the room uh, yeah. with the people at Netflix, um, you know, um, actually, um, uh, you know, uh, I've got a bunch of, of, of friends, you know, at, Net, at Netflix. And so you know, we were talking and, you know, we just came up with, with the idea, you know, about to do a film about crack and to think about, you know, um, you know, the, the kind of crack era in all its different components. So we didn't want to do just, you know, a street level story. We didn't want to do just a government story. Um, you know, we, we wanted to do, uh, we wanted to tie all the pieces together because I think, you know, the pieces all do tie to get together in a very real way. So that's, that's really, you know, how the project started. And it, and I think it, it kind of ended up that way. So when you say all the pieces, talk about that. Like, um, again, there's the streets level of it. There's also a larger picture that there's a perception that back in the 80s and into the 90s that there wasn't nearly enough done to quell the the epidemic. Or was it an epidemic in the first place? Yeah, I mean, Was I, it as... Was it really as a, I mean, you know, the, you, you dispel the film, for instance, for an example, dispels the notion of a plague of or a, some sort of, uh, I hate to use the word pandemic, but, a, a, or an epidemic maybe of crack babies. This was like these, these trigger expressions at the time, but it, it, they were an exaggeration or so the film. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, so, so many parts of, of, of the crack era and the crack epidemic uh, were overblown, you know. So, you know, um, we have people on camera talking about 100,000, you know, crack babies are, are going right. to you know, infest New York schools and other things that, 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 that never came to fruition. You know, those things that never happened. They were just overblown. You know, the whole idea of... of crack mamas selling their babies for crack you know we have one right. one quote where uh you know Geraldo Rivera actually you know is holding up a baby and says that this woman was so stoned on crack that she didn't even know that she had delivered a baby for for till two or three days later you know and and you know any woman that <laughs> that that's ever delivered a baby can t- can tell you that 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 you know that that that's pretty much impossible, you know, to to to, to, to birth a baby and not know it, you know. Um, but that those were the ridiculous reports that, that you know some of them ridiculous reports that came out. So um, I think that but people that, were willing to at the time buy into it. So there was a vulner, there was the, like a um, a willingness to to accept these lies uh, uh, and exaggerations, right, and well, that's because, really the problem. Well, because people didn't know what, what what was happening, you know, especially you know in, in uh, you know black and brown neighborhoods, you know, in, in, in cities like all over the country, you know, big cities and small cities, you know, um, crack was being sold openly, you know, and 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 people knew that that that, that their neighborhood had changed and you know uh, and was devastated, and they didn't know what was going on. Um, and, you know, we talk to dealers and users who talk about, you know, at, at the very beginning of crack, um, you know, the, the police were nowhere around, you know, um, you know, one guy, you know, talks about quitting his job at McDonald's and, and, and starting to sell crack. He says, you know, one of the great quotes from the film was it was like a gold rush in the hood, you know, because, because, you know, there were so many people and, and people, and also a lot of people coming, white folks coming from out of the neighborhoods to buy crack. Um, and there were no police around. So, you know, for, for a lot of young, especially black men, you know, it seemed like, you know, it, it, it was like low risk and you could make a lot of money. Um, and so that that you know, crack just took off. I mean, and, you know, what, what's great is in the film is there's so much, you know, uh, video of uh, that, you know, when the networks caught on that, 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 that they took of, you know, rows of cars lined up, people lined up to buy crack, people smoking crack out in the open. Um, you know, all of those, you know, kids playing with crack vials, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of 
piles of crack vials that people had thrown thrown away on the streets and kids like playing games with crack vials. You know, um, it was really, you know, something that anybody that, that was around at that time, you know, you know, you remember it's, you know, you, you have those memories that are so stark of, of, uh, of, of what became known as, as the crack era. And it became known because, you know, it, it, it was so huge. Well, you're reminding me in the film, you can see all the, as you mentioned, the footage that exists at that time. Um, and I'm realizing that that the 80s and into even into the early 90s was this period before the advent of reality television, like as we know it today. Before that, there was a proliferation on television. There was a proliferation of these magazine shows. They were very popular. Right. Every network had their own magazine shows on sometimes two or three nights a week and they needed content and salacious content was, of course, good for ratings. Right. So they, those shows, I think, actually played a part in let alone the, just the, the evening news of really escalating and uh, of the, the, the problem. Yeah, I mean, be, and again, because, you know, it was so open. I mean, you know, you could say, sh- send a reporter, you know, go up and do me a story True, on crack. Right. And they could just walk out there with a camera person and they, you know, people were selling crack and smoking crack and, you know, uh, right on the streets. We were lining up to buy crack, you know, uh, you know, um, you interview the kids, you know, little kids, and they talk about how they're scared to come out at night because of crack. You interview older people, they're scared, you know, they're scared to come out at night uh, because of crack, and it just took over. One of the fascinating things in the film is is, is also, you know, that, that it got so bad that, you know, Black and Latinx people were calling for anything to stop it, you know, so you have marches of, of, of African-Americans you know, begging for more police in their neighborhood. You know, I mean, can you imagine that? Like today, I mean, you know, that's the last thing any, any, any black person would do. You know, could, hey, could, could you could you put more police in our neighborhood? But they were marching, you know, um, uh, you know, to so to, to get more police because it had gotten so crazy and so out of hand. Um, people were scared to go out. People, you know. Um, uh, people were scared to, you know, go to the jobs. People were scared to sit on their porches or sit on their stoops. So, um, you know, it just took over. The 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 information that we were hearing in our, you know, when I say we, I mean, I'm a nice middle class white people like myself. We're hearing would be things like, you know, a whole generation of crack has killed off a generation of African Americans, and uh, it, first of all. Does the documentary dispel that? I don't really remember that coming up, unless I'm forgetting. But also, was there the feeling that that the police and local governments were more just were had a laissez-faire attitude, let them, you know, kill themselves? Was that the yeah, I mean, I, I think general that, feeling uh, about it. Is that why the police weren't much of a presence. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the film, the film is is, is really um, you know structured in chapters, and I think we we structured it in that way for a reason because there were chapters within the within within the crack story. So you know, first nobody had never ever heard of crack. You know, we you know people started sniffing cocaine, and you know you go to a club and people would be sniffing cocaine in the bathroom. Party, recreational you know, every, party drugs. Every every time you, every club you went to, one of the bartenders you know would be selling coke. You know, and and, and you know that that kind of morphed it into crack. And, and the first time we actually heard about about it was we heard about freebasing when Richard Pryor kind of set himself on fire and then it was like what, sure. what was he doing you know and and it was like yeah. oh he was free basic and what is that and then all of a sudden you know we we uh we talked to rick ross in the film freeway rick ricky ross who uh, was one of the, the the main uh crack dealers um you know in this country in la and, and just a huge dealer of, of, of crack and, and you know he what he talks about is how you know partially you know he discovered that people didn't want to people didn't want to cook up cocaine to, to freebase, you know, that you could, you could cook it up. The dealers could cook it up and put it in little vials and sell it. And, and, and they started calling it crack. And so that's, that's when, you know, the, the, the crack era took off and, you know, for, for a period of, of a few years, uh, the police didn't really bother the, the, the dealers or the, or the users, you know, people just, 
sold out on the street, right out in the open in the daylight at nighttime. It, you know, I remember coming home at three in the morning. You know, I live in Harlem and, and three in the morning and, and, you know, passing a certain block. And uh, it was like daylight. You know, it was like the middle of the day. There were hundreds of people out there at three in the morning, you know, buying and smoking crack, you know. Right. Um, but then when when the, the press and, and the police got hold of it, partially, as we say in the film, uh, because of the death of this college basketball player, Lynn Bias, um, you know, who was a very famous college basketball player. Um, then the press and, and the politicians and the police got hold of it and, and went crazy. Um, until... You know, you, you ask about the, the, the kind of lasting effect. Well, I think the, the lasting effect was very different from what the press got hold of, you know, the 100,000 crack babies. It, it ended up being um, people sentenced to prison for drugs and, and the war on drugs and, 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 and the war on crack. And, and the fact that, you know, five grams of crack was equated to 500 grams of cocaine. So, you know, you would get the same sentence for five grams of crack as 500 grams of cocaine. And, and they were mandatory sentences, you know. So for the first time you're busted, you'd get a certain amount of time and the judge has to give it to you. Second, you know, you could plead, you know, hey, I got a drug problem. You know, I wasn't committing crime. Drug has to, the, the judge has to give you a certain sentence. So um, what it led to was mass incarceration and then also pouring money into police departments. So that now the, the police, you know, have assault weapons. They have tanks breaking down doors. They have body armor. And, you know, militarization. I'm sorry? A militarization. Yeah, of the police. And, and that's right. what, what, yeah. what we They finally see. showed up. The police finally and, showed up. And then yeah. the police, you know, ha- they showed up and they never, and they never, they never left. Never so left that's them. what we see today, you know, in, in the yeah. Black Lives Matter marches. Where, where you see the, the the police in military garb and you know body armor, looking like something out of Star Wars, and assault weapons, um, and and mass incarceration, more and more people, uh, especially Black and Latinx people, um, you know, being jailed for drug offenses. Uh, you mentioned Rick Ross, right? Mm-hmm. Who is, was a very successful entrepreneur, yeah. to say the least. He was he was a major crack dealer right yeah how did you learn about him i mean, yeah, I mean where in the research does do, yeah, I mean, where does the yeah, Rick, Rick ross is famous i mean you know i mean the the, the, the hard part was getting in, in contact with him and getting him to sit down with an interview i mean he's he's, 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 he's in famous. demand like he said like he said he was look he he says and you know i mean i think this is only a slight exaggeration that he was handling like a million dollars a day in, in, in money and that that maybe you know he would take off a hundred thousand two hundred thousand dollars a day but you know then he talks about how he bought a beauty shop a movie theater a tire shop an auto shop you know and he just he just goes you know down the litany of things that he bought and businesses that he owned with with the profits i mean you know he's a he's a really smart guy um and um you know, uh, and and just was in the right place at the right time. If you can say that about a crack deal, does he have to have like a lawyer to to talk? I mean, does did he have to like? He served, I mean, he 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 like so many people, you know, ended up in jail. I mean, that's that's kind of the coda, you know, of, of the film. You know, um, the last few bites in the film are, are kind of what happened to the people, you know, um, you know, who use crack. Or, or, or Del Crack, you know, uh, Samson Stiles was one of the, the main people we talked to and was a crack dealer, you know, all up and down the East Coast. Uh, he, he ends up getting shot five times and ends up doing two stints in jail. So, you know, um, it's and, and, you know, he he's the one who talks about the gold rush to the hood. You know, they talk about, you know, it, it was fun at first, you know, and then we show, you know, how, you know, what was fun at first. Uh, for the, these dealers, which were a lot of times teenagers, you know, became lethal as they started getting weapons and started uh, fighting for turf, um, and it became a free for all. Did most people that you approach seem to be willing to talk? Yeah, we we talked to a lot of a lot of people. I mean, actually, Samson Styles, you know, again, the dealer um, became a consulting producer on the film because he he's actually works as a journalist now, um, and uh, you know, he has made yeah, he seems incredibly popular, you know. 
Yeah, he's maintained contacts with a, with a lot of people who were who were involved in the drug trade one way or the other, and he helped set 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 this up. And, and you know, he's trusted, and, and so you know, people uh, you know would at least give us the benefit of the doubt and and, and, and talk to us and and, and agree to interviews. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, the name of the film it's right now available on Netflix, and it's called Crack. <laughs> Cocaine, corruption, and conspiracy, directed by Stanley Nelson. How many documentaries? Right you say that the right way. Crack. <laughs> yeah. Well, you have to. It's the idea. I think is. It's a thoroughly. It's thoroughly watchable, and again, it does sort of dispel a number of myths, and also really kind of, uh, I think, put the. Re- it's refreshing to have a firmer idea of the reality behind that whole. You know. Yeah, I think. I think one of the. I mean, living in New York City at the time, being a young man at the time, and just being kind of given so much information about that made me just like, you know, scared to walk down the street sometimes or to, you know, it just, it, it, so it affected a lot of people in different ways, you know, some worse than others, of course, but, you know, I mean, anybody living in the city like New York, it affect, it impacted the, the way they uh, interacted on, in the city. Yeah, I think that one, one of the things that, 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 that you know, I want to mention, too, is that, is that we have a great soundtrack to this film because it was actually also the beginning of hip hop. You know, and and uh, you know the the real beginnings of hip hop, and and sure. you know, and and the hip hop artists are talking about what's going on in the streets, you know, in a in a way that 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 other you know pop artists didn't, you know, before. And so you know, they're they're talking about crack, they're talking about you know the neighborhood, they're talking about you know uh, the cops, you know, um, and right. So that, that 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 also you know forms a, a great uh, soundtrack uh, for the film. for sure. When is your impression that? things i mean like early hip-hop was like you know party music you know it was right it was mm-hmm. it was it was a type of party music at the beginning anyway it wasn't kind of a protest music which kind of at least a good segment of it whether it consciously or not became and i'm wondering like maybe it was kind of around the time where amidst the crack uh, epidemic where that happened where rap got real hard yeah, I mean, I, I think that 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 what rap, rap rap did was reflect the streets, you know, and and um, and 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 became kind of really a voice for, for the streets, you know, and and uh, I mean, because it was it was almost impossible to ignore. I mean, you know, again, you know, we call it the crack era for a reason. I mean, it was so huge, you know. I mean, I you know, I I would walk around my neighborhood. There was a certain block, uh, two blocks from me that, that you know you had to avoid. You know, sure. I, I remember walking down there with my daughter, which was about five or six, I, you know, and I was like, okay, we can never come down this block again, you know, because we were smoking crack in the doorways and, you know, and, and just selling, you know, and so it, it you know, it, it was impossible to ignore. And so I think that, that one of the things that, that, that hip hop did was, it was, a, was allow it to, to then, you know, filter in, in, into the music. And then that's, you know, again, one of the hallmarks of, of, of what hip hop, you know, uh, was at that time that that you know it was it was talking about you know what 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 these young people saw in the streets and and uh, you know it was not it, it was not kind of controlled by a huge you know uh, record company you know it was not you know you didn't have to you know include you know Diana Ross or you know the Temptations you know it was it was yeah. just, it was raw and 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 the streets were raw. Speaking of music. Your last documentary, unless I'm mistaken, or at least your last feature, I believe was Miles Davis' Birth of the Cool. Yeah. Or Birth yeah, of the Cool. Yeah. Miles Davis. yeah, it's Miles Davis' Birth of the Cool, and that's also shown on Netflix, although we did, we, we made the film for PBS, um, but it's now shown on Netflix. Now we actually showing. did another, another film um, kind of in between that uh, called Vic, you know, four hours oh, yeah, yeah. for ESPN on Michael Vick. 30, uh, the 30 know, for 30 series. 30 for 30, yeah, four-hour film. Um, but, I, you know, I, I'm Great. very proud of uh, uh, Miles Davis' Birth of the Cool. You know, I just I, I just love love that film. And, um, you know, I've always wanted to do a film on music and who better than Miles Davis. So, you know, um, um, I, Netflix. I just had my bunch of my, my... I used to work at Sony Music for years. Okay. And I... I oh. I, the amount of Miles Davis packages that were 
coming out was just unbelievable through their legacy label. Their yeah, uh, yeah. We, uh, we worked with we worked with Sony. We worked with Legacy. I oh, mean, I'm sure. The stuff is incredible. We have one that that they we we actually we actually had to beg, borrow, and steal for them to give us one that, that comes in a trumpet case. And you know, I don't know how many. Oh, wow. Just thirty CDs, you know, in a trumpet case. Uh, uh, you know, uh, just 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 beautiful stuff. You know, different ways to to repackage. You know, Miles because Miles is evergreen, and so you know. Uh, I remember uh, their studio, uh, their recording studio and soundstage was on the west side. It's probably they probably still have a Sony studio on the west side, but um, and I remember going into like a vault or into like some sort. And they had just like rows of original tape for all of these and just running my hands like, like you know, the original Miles Davis tapes, I assume, you know, and next to, you know, maybe Santana or Simon and Garfunkel and just kind of being able to realize, my God, I, I, I'm in this uh, temple you know? Yeah, I think I think one of the Amazing. things that was great about about it actually, you know, the, the recordings were made uh, for Columbia, then, which was I guess bought by sure. Sony, but they were made for Columbia. But Miles was famous, yeah. you know, for, for, from the mid fifties, you know, until his death. He was famous for so long that they had photographers, you know, in all the recording sessions, and so they, you know, all the recording sessions. I mean, they're incredible, incredible pictures of, you know, oh yeah. The actual recording so right know, and some of these new some of those packages i was mentioning they were beautiful digi packs or just you know small box set little box i've got some of those beautiful i'm gonna grab one just because we're talking uh that's right here which by the way is still not open but i don't know if you've ever seen the series is that upside down no that's good so they made all these beautiful boxes, these packages. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, but and I'm I I don't know. I used to have a bunch more. I don't know what what happened. Uh, I do have one or two more. But anyway, I, I'm only mentioning. I brought it up because uh, first of all, it was the last time we talked. We were in Baltimore, you and me. We sat down. You were showing it at the Maryland Film Festival when there was such a thing. Hopefully, there'll be again. A Maryland yeah. Film Festival. This spring or here? Well, I don't know about this spring, but I know, year. I know. Next well, year. some managed, you know, they're temporarily doing a virtual very yeah, version of the festival, which which is okay for a year, maybe two. But we got to get back to festivals. Um, but I'm just like, you know, the subject matter is there, and do you feel? I mean, it would make sense to me that you might feel uh, uh, the motivated to after doing, let's say, a documentary about track to do one maybe on a uh, uh, on a very very different subject matter i don't know yeah I mean, maybe you want to go in a completely other direction no we're doing a lot of different things you know you know already so um we're actually um uh making a film about attica you know the 50th anniversary of the attica rebellion uh is, is sure. this year so we're we're um actually you know cutting that right now and doing a bunch of other things you know but uh, is that the one that uh we're William Kunstler was uh Yeah, William Kunstler was one ran of the servers and one of the perspectives. And uh, you know, they they uh were they they had a number of, of what what they called observers because um right. they were kind of trying to negotiate uh, on the on the uh, prisoners' behalf. Right. Yeah, I do recall. I, I grew up going with to the summer camp with the Kunstler girls. Well yeah, they made actually a really great film about I know. Yeah. Good. I remember screening it. Um, I had a little film series for a while. It's another podcast we can do some other time. <laughs> so, how, how many about how many features does this make? I mean, it's it's you've got to meet about a dozen, I'm guessing. Yeah, I mean, I, I think probably you know, I I don't know. Yeah, probably. You've been, but you've done a lot of broadcast stuff, right? So, fifteen things, but you know, um, yeah. you know, some shorter things also, and and uh, you know, right. just. A, bunch of different things you know and then you know we run the, the firelight documentary lab which is uh in its 11th year now and so we've had uh, over 100 uh people that have come through the lab and you know probably 80 percent of those people have actually finished fe- feature films um that have gone on to be broadcast one place or the other so you know and uh, it, so. so people go to firelight media their the website yeah to find uh, out more about the lab, 
Yeah, media website, you know, and then FileMedia.org, and then you can uh, find out about the Documentary Lab or or the films that we've produced. Well, thank you for for squeezing this on such a big day. It's uh, a big day for us here in this country. Yeah, <laughs> it's a good day. I just I just remembered I, that what, uh, and we have a uh, an actual. I mean, what's going on in the country? It, it's kind of confusing. It gives you hope. What happened in Georgia was very. Uh, hopeful uh so what happened today is very hopeful yeah no i, 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 I resilience I, I think it's great you know and you know i mean i, I think you know as terrible as, as what happened you know in 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 the capital you know the other week you know that that was a few thousand people you know and you know something like you know 150 million people voted in the election you know so you know it, it you know, we have to keep it in perspective. It was horrible and it seemed horrible, but, you know, I, I think, I think also that, that, that we're fooled. And I think, you know, that, 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 uh, you know, you know, other politicians are, 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 are fooled by, you know, uh, holding rallies and, and meetings where there's really like a couple of thousand people. It's not, you know, it's not, it, it pales in, in when you think about, you know, 150 million people. Yeah, it's just the even a very a relatively small group that's angry and violent can do a lot of damage because they're very motivated. But you know, I don't know. We need a few years, and then Stanley Nelson can make a documentary about this particular period. I think that's the solution. So we- yeah, and I, I think I think that that's that's you know as quiet as it's kept, that's always been part of the United States. You know, sure for a long time that that's been part of part of the United States, um, you know, the difference is they haven't been allowed to carry assault weapons out in the open. And we haven't talked really openly either about how many of those folks might be in the military or in the police force or, you know, so yeah. we're talking about it. We're talking about it now. Yeah. It's too late for some people, but at least we're talking about it. Crack. Cocaine, corruption, and conspiracy. Right now on Netflix. So you can switch over right now and watch Stanley Nelson's documentary. Yeah, Thanks, Stanley. Also, Miles Davis. Birth of the thank you. And Great Davis, talk birth you always. Thanks so much. All right. All right thank All right. you. All right. Take care. Just say no. It felt extraordinarily hypocritical. This was happening at a time when the U.S. government was turning a blind eye to cocaine smuggling. Our goal was to defeat communism in Central America. If that meant drugs got in and the youth of America used them, well, that was the way it was going to be. We knew that they were in on it. We knew that they were dealing on the side. What would you steal? Money and drugs and guns, whatever was it. That was kind of like chemical warfare on black communities. It's a story that has to be told. with some kind of heaven first time feature director lance oppenheim cracks no pun intended the manicured facade of the villages which is america's largest retirement community it's a massive self-contained utopia located in central florida uh, behind the gates of this palm tree-lined fantasy land some kind of uh, heaven invests in the dreams and desires of a small group of villages resident uh, villages residents and one interloper who are unable to find happiness within the community's prepackaged paradise. With strikingly composed cinematography, this candy-colored documentary offers a tender and surreal look at the never-ending quest for finding meaning and love in life's final act. The film is uh, produced by Darren Aronofsky, among others. Here it is. This is Lance Oppenheim. Some Kind of Heaven is the documentary. It's currently available on Everywhere. Hi, my name's Elaine. Hi, my name is Elaine. Hi, my name is Elaine. Elaine is our name. 
the villages is like being on vacation every day. The Disney World for retirees. It is like going off to college. You come here to live. You don't come here to pass away. There is no place like this. This is Nirvana. I'm just saying for me, it hasn't been the fantasy land that I thought it would be. For, you know, for reasons that are, some are true to my own self, you know. Oh, my God. <laughs> I think that when you live in the villages, you're acting the part. Surely, everybody's life is not perfect. Now that we're in the villages, Reggie's sense of reality has become even more out there. I came down here to meet a nice-looking lady with some money that I'd be not embarrassed to be seen on the street with. You need a handyman, don't you? I don't care. <laughs> Who am I? You got the answer. No, I don't. They're in you. Who am I? Somebody found me out. I got in trouble with the law last night. You're charged with possession of cocaine. Who am I? You make me sick. I think I lose no matter what you do. If you want to avoid trouble, don't come here. There has to be more than just surviving. <laughs> it's a new awakening. Go! This is the last hurrah. I'm about ready to call it quits. We have too much fun down here, you know? All right. Hi, Lance. Hello. Where are you? Now, are, are you in Florida? I'm in, I'm in Florida, yeah. I'm in, I'm in Miami currently. Oh. Um, I just, uh, I'm, I'm quarantining. I just finished a, a, a shoot in L.A., and now I'm just... I'm in a, I'm in Hollywood, Florida, which is which is a it's a fun place if you've ever been here. No, I've not been to Hollywood, uh, Florida. I uh, my my deepest connection to Florida would I've been all over Florida, but my deepest connection to Florida would have to be a, a retirement community that's a little bit further south, by uh, mm. southeast of the villages, which is in West Palm Beach. Huh. So what's it, uh, what's it called? My grandparents live not so far away from there. Century Village. Century so, Village. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So may, that might be, as the villages, which your documentary, Some Kind of Heaven is about, is, is the, maybe the largest and maybe the richest, I don't know, or fanciest, uh, you know, retirement community. But I think Century could be one of the oldest, if not the oldest. I'm not sure. That's an interesting, you may be right about that. I'm not totally sure. I, I, I I do know, you know, there's like a long lineage of of retirement communities that came before the villages. There's like, um, I mean, the Del Webb community, Sun City was, I feel like literally, Mm -hmm. if you look at like the older, um, I found all these old archival videos of, of like the, you know, in the, in the fifties of, uh, of, of how it, you know, how they were advertising, um, and it literally looks identical to the villages. It's almost like the villages uh, took this the, the the Sun City approach. Uh, they they kind of copied and pasted it onto like this whole you know big land in, in Central Florida. And then I think the the one thing they did do, which was which was genius, was was get the um, this this uh, architecture design firm called Forec to basically help them you know do all the dis the, the disneyfying of the place and they hired this company to kind of write the fake history with them and oh. you know, do all the stuff but but wow. you know, it's it's definitely not the richest i'd say that i mean there are definitely okay. wealthy enclaves it's just it's so big that it's almost like there are there are parts of the city that are like the historic district is what they call it is sort of like the uh the like which is yeah it's like kind of uh, um, but that, that's like that the historic district is like the, the lower income sort of housing there. And then they have, um, you know, they have, they have kind of mid range houses. Yeah. And, then, and there are tiers exactly. And then they have, you know, upscale ones as well. Well, let's take a baby step backward because so I set it up properly. Yeah. Also, I, I wanted to try to get, uh, I was, you guys came on and I don't know if any of our publicists are on at the moment, but uh, just remind me of the date first, uh, Some Kind of Heaven, which is the documentary, your first, which is really remarkable. 
Uh, Thank but, you. Yeah, it, it comes it comes out everywhere on uh, virtually on the fifteenth. So now right, you would know too. I forgot. Yeah, 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 yeah. You made the and film it's out yeah. today. It's out today in Florida in, in theaters, just uh, like uh, before before the release next no, week. That's fair. So right, so uh, it's a week from today, right? Fifteenth. Yep. Uh, as we record this on the uh, uh, this on the eighth of January. Wow. Okay. So so as you describe the villages, which is this retirement community, they seem to be somewhat occupied by uh, a, a kind of a, a fictional sort of a version of itself too, which is interesting, you know, like, like creating a story behind it, uh, uh, an origin or, or, so, you know, like, and then you said the Disney, like sort of the Disneyfied part of it and maybe talk about what you mean by that for people who haven't seen the documentary yet. Yeah, you know, I mean, so this is sort of like, I think one of the things that probably makes the villages what it is, and, and, you know, not only extremely successful, but also just, you know, totally, unlike any other retirement community in the in, in, in America, I sound like I'm giving an advertise doing an advertisement for them now or something. But I do, you know, this is one of the reasons I was I was interested in making the film in the first place um, was was that they that when they were kind of designing the, the, the what, what the retirement community could be, um, you know, at first was a bunch of you know in its early incarnations it was like a a trailer park and then eventually as they started getting more and more people that would move um they the 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 creator of the villages harold schwartz he was very inspired by walt disney and he wanted to uh create a a a world that reminded the baby boomers of their childhood um i think he was you know i I honestly don't even know if he what what guided him to that decision If, if it was only maybe it was just that he loved epcot and he loved everything that was going on uh, with Disney World, but he, you know, he was he kind of predicted the next, you know, few decades of what of what would uh, what America would look like, where you have a whole generation of of, of baby boomers that are um, maybe feeling a little disenfranchised, maybe feeling like they don't really have anywhere to go. Their families have moved on. They themselves have retired. Um, they want a place for themselves, and what better place to go to than a place that reminds you of how you were when you were a child and right. a lot of the activities and the suburban kind of delights. So what there was also, yeah, I, I apologize. I, I was going to say also, there's this aspect to this, uh, that they, they lived through a very prosperous time and there was a lot of, you had these people when they were a bit younger, perhaps experienced a certain amount of comfort where, you know, at that age, uh, they kind of aged during this period of maybe uh, going out a lot, enjoying their their life. There's a lot of, you know, it, like the generations before war, working, the baby boomers yeah. kind of came up in a, t- a very different sort of environment. And right. and it, you can sort of see it in their, the way they sort of, the way that the, the, the retirement community is catered their interests and this idea of their younger days, maybe in terms of just uh, they had the time and the money to maybe be more athletic and more uh, out, out going, you know, no, totally. It it may not even be a thing that's so, so specific, honestly, to to the baby. I mean, I mean, I guess given that the baby boomers are are sort of the the generation that's retiring right now, but I, but I think honestly, it's, it's, it's a, um, it's, it's a desire that, that is completely understandable. This is a, this is a, a place that, I think most retirement communities, they don't have the amount of activities or, you know, levels of engagement of, you know, the, the whole, the, it's almost like Margaritaville on acid or, or, or on steroids or something, maybe a little bit of both. Uh, but just this idea that you can kind of, that paradise awaits you, that you're, you know, you're the, the best years of your life. Uh, you, you, you haven't experienced them yet. Uh, they can be found and relived um, at the villages. And I think to me yeah. as a filmmaker, that was something that was just like, um, you know, I had made a film about a man on a cruise ship, a, a retiree who exclusively These lived on a cruise ship. projects. Yes, yeah. for, for 20 years. And I, and I kind of was fascinated. I began to be fascinated by this idea of, you know, how, yeah, how, how, how retirees, uh, but, you know, even more broadly, how Americans are are choosing to spend uh, you know, choosing to kind of isolate themselves inside of these, you know, um, these fantasy lands of their own creation, the ways in which we kind of attempt to uh, siphon ourselves off from reality and, and live inside of a, you know, of, of a thing or a place uh, or a type of li- a line of thinking that is uh, that is much more agreeable and, and, and kind of erases all of the bad things in life. So 
seeing 120,000 people kind of move from the north to Florida to the villages um, and live inside of a place that was designed to remind them of their youth, that to me was like enough as a setting to, to, to kind of make me interested in making a film about the villages. And it's interesting because what, what could be the draw may not necessarily be what ends up sustaining you because, yeah. you know, that some of these retirees uh, find that they're, feel a sense of emptiness or, you know, um, that there's something that's, I mean, you have the film centers on, I guess, three. Yeah. It's, 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 it's three storylines and four, three four subjects. Yeah, yeah. It's better to put it. Yeah. Right. Cause one, one of your storylines involves a couple, which is Anne and Reggie. Right. And yeah. Anne is very happy in this community cause she's a very, She's social and she also really likes working out, right? And everything. Yeah, that, and playing uh, pickleball. Yeah, exactly. Everything, yeah, and everything that the 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 the, the, uh, the villages has to offer. Whereas Reggie um, has uh, some feels uh, sort of a haunted guy. You know, he's um, uh, has a, 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 I have to be careful how much I give away, but he's he has addictions, to, drug addiction problem. I mean, that much we can say, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, like, why would you need any reason to escape from paradise? Like, why, why would you need something to escape from when you're in paradise, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Unless it's, it is a kind of a facade. I mean, and for him, maybe that's his problem. Uh, but it explores this couple who, she sticks by him. It's very difficult, but we watch that period of where he's, you know, struggling with, more with should he just like try to clean up or not and he's probably in his i'm guessing late 70s or 80s already yeah 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 he's he, he's in his uh mid 70s okay mid 70s. Um, yeah 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 but no i mean it, it's it's it you know i i think that was a draw for me in and wanting to follow them was um regardless of of where they lived it was it was it was seeing these two people who are very different from one another who have been married for 43 years you know um that moved to a place like the villages i think you know the villages allows you to kind of tap into or or or, or discover an interest and you know maybe you had a hobby that you had picked up in your 20s but you haven't been able to kind of re-engage with it ever you know ever since uh having to take a job or something so here's a couple that they they move to the villages you have you know Anne, who it kind of fits maybe more inside of the 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 typical profile of a villager she she plays pickleball she has a lot of friends she delights in kind of the community that the villages offers and you have reggie who's someone who really doesn't fit into any of the things that he's tried out he doesn't really enjoy uh you know kind of the group-minded activities he wants to be uh, his interest is psychedelic drugs and like Easter, Easter okay. spirituality. Um, right. And, and I, th- I think those two things, um, to me, I was just like fascinated how how someone could have those types of ideas and interests uh, and still exist inside of a place that is, you know, in my mind, a little bit as artificially constructed as as the villages is. I want to pay you a compliment in that you don't judge your any of these people. And we haven't gotten to it with the rest of them, but but we we don't judge, we, you know, we don't see you judging as a filmmaker. In fact, Reggie's is, you, you almost feel like, you know, whereas he maybe has the problem, the quote problem with drugs, but in a sense, we also feel like, well, this is a guy on a spiritual journey on some level. Maybe he's fooling himself, but it seems like he really is interested in discovering something that that he where he feels kind of like he has been limited or that, you know, or just hasn't finished his journey and in a way his life with his wife is just as much kind of feels like maybe it's holding him back she she's experienced the same thing because she wants her husband to be available to her and mm. be present and happy you know maybe being happy is present you know so they're both kind of you you wonder well maybe they're they're on separate journeys so they're both kind of right. figuring how to stay together maybe share a journey together neither is right or wrong you know right and then there's barbara who is widow and who's struggling she wants to stay in the villages but it's also she has to figure out how to afford to do that and so she works she has a job and it's it's a struggle and at the same time she's lonely and trying to meet somebody you mentioned um margaritaville earlier which i was going to say was a nice segue to her her potential uh romantic uh partner who 
seems preoccupied with Jimmy Buffett. Yes. Yeah. He's he's a (laughs) and margaritas. Parrot head. Yeah. He's 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 uh, a parrot head. Obsessed with uh, with with the the Buffett lifestyle. Right. Which which uh, of of which margaritas plays a central role. Uh, but he just, it just like his presence, and he's, I'm sure he's a wonderful man, but his presence only underline makes her probably feel even lonelier because, yeah. you know, to be with somebody who doesn't get you can make you actually feel lonelier. It's easier to be by yourself and sometimes. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. But she's a very sympathetic character too. Uh, and then the one of the very beautiful moments again I'm, I'm careful how i present stuff because i don't want to give things away but she let's put it this way she's finds some uh, level of of camaraderie and uh company with uh, this acting uh, is that that's part yeah. of the spillages too of course right right yeah yeah it's which is tremendous i mean and what we see with her and her growth in there is very moving you know you must have thought yeah. wow you had this incredible moment she she yeah she gave a hell of a performance you know in that in that monologue she delivers i think like um it was funny because i didn't really know what she was delivering or you know there's a a scene in the film where barbara uh is after just a lot of setbacks uh finally decides she's been at this acting club several times you see her in the film at the acting club not participating and finally at the end she decides to go up and she delivers this like show-stopping monologue and i i remember it's like, you know, where the hell is this thing from? And she write this? And then it turns out it was from like American Horror Story. And it, you know, just like some is random. It really? Yeah, some random scene. That was like, wow. You know, I mean, it really shows like uh, if any directors are out there listening to this, please hire hire her. She's an amazing. Um, you you know, will get somebody who's entirely committed. Yeah, you'll get someone who's entirely committed. And she has a lot of just she she's just a blank canvas. I think she's like immediate you know, she, 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 she can do anything. She's hilarious. She's a, a great dramatic performer. Um, I think she, she, she just, all she wants to do is act. And I think she uh, proves it. It's like almost her acting uh, demo reel or something is in that one, that one monologue scene. Um, well, maybe when you do your narrative version of the film, you can <laughs> ask her to play herself. Oh man. Well, I feel like in some ways this, this is, you know, I feel like this is, the, there is, yeah. The, it's interesting. I feel like um, initially when we were first making this, I was like, man, there are so many narrative ideas I'd love to try out. And, uh, you know, after making this documentary, and then I think as we kept working on it, I just was like, you know what, it, I feel like the best way to kind of honor the setting of this of the world here is to kind of fuse the two, not to say that, you know, the narrative qualities of this film are, are like fake or scripted. It's all, you know, it's all real. But but um, but the ways in which we're kind of stylizing certain elements and scenes and you know, th- that, that, that was important to me. It, c- it had to come from the place, you know, it had to come from the fact that there's this sort of, you know, unreality of the place or hyper-reality that the place kind of, you know, delights in when you're there. And, and when, 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 you, when you're living there, it like completely, you know, you feel like you're completely cut off from the rest of the world. So I wanted to kind of find a way to uh, get that feeling and, and intersperse it throughout, you know, the frames of the film, the, the casting of the film, the, editing of the film kind of from from top to bottom we we had to drench it in the the village's secret sauce you know (laughs) yeah uh now of course we can't leave out dennis who is yeah maybe the most um i don't know we'll probably get the most attention is my guess of your different characters because of the circumstance this is a perpetual man child in a way (laughs) yes Uh, yeah who also probably is, I'm guessing, well into his 70s. 80s. 80s, thank you. Yeah. I'm not, this one we can't give away because there is a moment late in his story line, which uh, it's a phone call with somebody. In, uh, we just have time for one. We're getting low on time, unfortunately. But I, we can't give away this moment where he's on the phone with somebody very close in his life. Uh, but it, it was like, what? <laughs> yeah. Anyway. His his situation is living in a van. Yeah, pretty scary situation. Well, for him, not so much. I mean, it's interesting for him. Well, you know, no, but for us, oh, as, for us, as for people sure. who are sure. wondering how we're going to, what our future is look like, you know, in this economy. 
Yeah, no, totally. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I think for him, it's, it's, this is why I thought he was a, no matter his age, I thought he was a fascinating guy. He'd been living in a van for, you know, years of his life. And he's a guy right. who's masquerading as a villager. He's an interloper. He doesn't exist there. He doesn't belong there. Uh, and he just kind of, you know, exists on the margins. He takes little crumbs from where he can get it. He showers at the open, you know, at, at the public rec centers and everyone's gone and is sleeping. Right. Um, he, he, he's a guy who knows how the system works. He's very intelligent and he's, you know, he's driven from California to Florida to find a wealthy widow to shack up with, which is uh, uh, probably not the most noble reason to go. Um, and, you know, it's practical. It is practical, perhaps, but you see him kind of, uh, you know, you know, yeah, misfire and maybe find some success later in the film. But, you know, the, the, the interest to me about with him was was something more than just, hey, here's this crazy character. I wanted to kind of plumb the, the depths of his of his uh, of, of his choices and really and really know what was going on. Sure. And, and again, I want to repeat that, you know, he, he would be somebody who could be one could mock or um, look down on on some level because of his circumstances. And the film certainly doesn't do that. I, I have one one more thing. We're talking to uh, Lance Oppenheim, who is the director of Some Kind of Heaven, which opens next Friday, the 15th of January. The executive producer and executive producer on the project, of course, Darren Aronofsky. So as a film guy, I kind of have to just ask about how you... Uh, the film also, I meant to mention, premiered at Sundance was and also closing night film at Doc Fortnite, which I'm a fan of. Uh, I, 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 how did that relationship come about? How did he sign on? That must be a nice perk. Yeah, he, you know, so I, I, I've been a fan of Darren's films for like most of my entire life. And anytime I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of someone's, you know, stuff, I try to get in touch with them no matter how, uh, you know, you know, no matter how successful they are, I, I, I'm, 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 I'm kind of like the, I don't know if you've ever seen Election, but when Tracy Flick just write, likes to write letters to people she admires, I, I did, did, did the same thing. It's a weird comparison I'm making to me and Tracy Flick, although I do love that film. But anyway, <laughs> I, um, oh. I, I, was, I searched for Darren's email online for, for years. There was a similar kind of, I, you know, I got in touch with the New York Times in a similar way. I had, you know, that, they had an open submission forum to, to kind of, uh, you know, submit your documentaries. And I sent a bunch of them, never heard back. And then I kind of just, I found the producer's email and sent them a personal note about how much they, you know, their, their, their series meant to me. And eventually I ended up getting through to them. And same with Darren. I had, I found his email, you know, the email didn't work, tried a different email. Finally, my emails weren't getting bounced back. And for almost, you know, three years, I would send an, e- one, an email probably once every uh, three months. And I was just very persistent. Eventually one of his, um, his creative executives kind of uh, found one of my notes and then, one thing went to the next. He we got coffee. I showed him what I had been working on. I had kind of a sample sizzle sizzles worth of material, like a six minute short uh, from this film. And I um and uh, you know to my surprise, they really sparked to it. They showed it to Darren. I met with Darren. One thing led to the next. You know, we seemed to have a really kind of good rapport. And, um, you know, it was a great collaboration. Darren doesn't really, he doesn't slap his name onto projects all so often. And I think he, you know, when he does get involved in projects, he's not really, he's not interested in getting involved as like a vanity executive producer. Like he, he, he likes to get his, you know, he likes to get in there and roll up his sleeves. So when we needed him to, he watched probably about like five or six cuts of the film and gave a lot of notes um, and a lot of conversations about what was going on in the movie, how to make certain things clearer um, and it was, you know, it was a really great, it was just a great collaboration. I'm, I'm, uh, working out with him on another project right now. And, uh, it's a, hopefully a relationship that will continue, uh, far beyond, uh, this movie. I'm, I urge people to see some kind of heaven and, um, it's, it's, it delivers a lot of wonderful moments and, uh, a real sort of impact, um, emotionally and otherwise. Um, so congratulations. And, uh, I'm glad I saw it and, and I'm glad this worked out today. And I hope you come back on. Thank you. you. Yeah, I, 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 I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you for uh, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure to meet you. Same here. Yeah. Have a good weekend. You too. Take care. You too. Fairy tales can come true. It can happen to you. 
If you're young at heart For it's hard you will find To be narrow of mind If you're young at heart You can go to extremes With impossible schemes You can laugh when you dream Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back in a week with a brand new episode, of course. In keeping, we'll be back in a week. For the last four years, I, I think I started almost right after our last president was in office, I played the show out with a, a song by Bob Dylan called um, Everything is Broken. And it wasn't by chance. I did that on purpose. I did it because I felt the song was fitting, the title was fitting for what we were going through. And uh, I, I, I think it was, it was, you know, right on the nose. But those days are behind us now, hopefully forever. <laughs> so I'm going to find another song. And I don't even know, between now and when I edit this episode, there'll be a new song there. We can talk about it. We can see how, if people like my new outgoing song, okay? Uh, so take care of yourselves and the ones you love. Until next time. And... Hey.